Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, my guest is Jacob Farber, who is a partner at Ouroboros LLP. Jacob is very well known in the industry for being at the earliest beginnings of blockchain and cryptocurrency and even became the general counsel to the R3 Consortium. So don't go away. On this week's tech news, I want to focus on where legislation meets technology. So in this week of elections, there's a few laws I want to make you aware of. First is California. They approved a new privacy regulator with a ballot measure. And it's going to be interesting because now it's almost like we've got competing laws between what was established with the CCPA a few years ago, the California Consumer Privacy Act. And so it's yet to be seen exactly how this will be implemented, but just know that California felt like it needed an additional measure on privacy. Similar to that, Portland, Maine approved the law that was a referendum on banning facial surveillance. So as we think about artificial intelligence and facial recognition, this law actually is a strengthening privacy to residents of Portland, Maine and people visiting that the government cannot just implement facial recognition technology without certain guidelines and measures. Massachusetts passed a right to repair law. And what this will do is car manufacturers, as cars have become more technologically advanced, data has become more important. And most automobile manufacturers protect that data. So even your mechanic doesn't get access to it. What this law does is it actually forces automobile manufacturers to open up their data platforms so that independent mechanics can indeed get access to the data to actually repair your car. And in the final thing is that the Prop 22 in California, which we call the gig economy or Uber and Lyft law, that was a $200 million campaign to support this measure, which was the most expensive in state history. The ballot measure passed 58 to 41%. And so what this do, what, and so what this does is now allows gig economy workers to still be independent and not be classified as employees. There's a lot of potential economic impact in doing that. That's what the fight was between the state and companies like Uber and Lyft. And that's the tech news of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is Jacob Farber, who is a partner at Ouroboros LLP. Welcome back, Jacob. Glad to be here. So just a little bit about Jacob, and we talk a lot about distributed ledger and blockchain on this show. Now, Jacob has kind of done it all over a decade in the blockchain space. Uh, Jacob was previously a partner at Perkins Coie when uh, the whole blockchain craze took off. He's done a ton of token sales, over 20, I believe, worked on over with 80 transactions, and uh, also well known for being the general counsel for R3, the blockchain consortium of over 80 financial institutions and related groups. So welcome again, Jacob. Sounds like you've done a lot. 
I, I've been doing it for a long time, although you aged me a couple extra years. I've, I've been doing sort of law and regulatory and strategic counseling in the blockchain space since 2012. So not, not quite a decade, coming up, coming up. Well, it's dog years, so that's over like 56. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, it, the, the, the rate at which things change in, in cryptocurrency, blockchain, distributed ledgers, as you not incorrectly referred to it, you know, pick your label, is just astonishing. And, you know, the, the joke in the space, as you just alluded to, is, you know, uh, you know a year in, in, uh, in blockchain is like dog years, right? A lot happens. So let's go more into that background, because both you and I as we started our careers, blockchain as a actual industry wasn't yet a thing. How did you actually come up and then get into blockchain? Uh, a, a dumb accident not involving me. So in, you know, I, I grew up practicing in DC and actually started out as a communications lawyer and went through the, the boom and expansion of the, the communications industries and the explosion of the internet in, uh, in the 1990s and in the 2000s. So sort of that was another thing I saw from the beginning, the beginnings of competitive mobile and competitive telephony. Uh, and, and over the years, my practice morphed into first sort of a general you know, technology practice. And then uh, by the late uh, 2000s was doing a lot of what we now call FinTech, you know, uh, work for financial services, you know, focused new entrants seeking to compete with incumbent financial services companies. And I, I took my practice to the DC office of Perkins Coie, which is a, a national firm, but, but sort of famously in its DNA is, is, uh, is Seattle based. It's, it's uh, unlike a lot of the other big firms in the country, it, it sort of speaks tech as a first language. All of the household name tech companies are Perkins clients. And uh, it had, it had just so happened that in the last couple of years before I got there, this was the end of 2011, uh, Perkins, uh, the FinTech team uh, had done a lot of work for the game publishers, figuring out what in-game and in-world currency is, what people call virtual currency, you know, uh, you know, World of Warcraft, gold uh, to virtual worlds, you know, that the, the whole set of it. And so when in about 2012, second half, when you had, you know, Bitcoin sort of went through this this transition where it went from being the province of you know European monetary theorists and you know kids coding in their basement and anarchists and, and whatever other early adopters there were you know that sort of the the crypto early adopter crowd and suits like me started showing up uh, and people started wanting to to build businesses around the technology they started needing lawyers. And at some point went from going, well, we, you know, maybe lawyers would be tolerable to really seeking them out. And they would Google virtual currency and lawyer. And you got Perkins Cooley because of an unrelated thing. And that got Perkins uh, into the position to sort of build what was and still is to some extent the globally leading practice in blockchain. And so from the beginning, we saw everything. It came to us by a mistake. But then we ended up representing the Bitcoin Foundation, a lot of the first wave of the early Bitcoin companies. We represented the tech companies as they got into it. So it was really a fascinating place to be. 
Well, it's a fantastic background. And just as an aside, uh, we talked about earlier as we got to know each other that uh, I was looking at Bitcoin and blockchain as an academic exercise at MUFG, uh, the Mitsubishi Financial Group. And very similar in that uh, once I started our consulting firm, companies started coming out of the woodwork about hitting, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show about regulatory aspects. Startups don't normally think about regulatory. And as you correctly said, before FinTech was a term or InsureTech or RegTech, uh, all these companies now as they're maturing, they're hitting regulations head on because of the work that you and some of the other folks have kind of blazed the trail. But the aside is that when I started looking at blockchain as a technology, even more than say a Bitcoin as a currency, in-game currency, virtual currency, and applying it toward what we think about in World of Warcraft and these other games, this was a perfect use case and something that companies are still trying to solve for today. So before we go on too much further, we gotta take a break. Once again, this is Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Special guest today is Jacob Farber, partner at Ouroboros, and uh, very well-versed in all manner of law and regulations around fintech and other technology-related items. Uh, when we get back, we're going to start talking about DeFi and how sometimes technology seems like Groundhog Day, especially in the blockchain space. So any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show is Jacob Farber, who is a partner at Ouroboros LLP. Earlier in the show, we talked about Jacob's background, having been involved in the blockchain industry for eight years, which seems much longer in dog years. So welcome back, Jacob. Glad to be back. So among other things that we talked about earlier, Jacob, is uh, you were senior counsel at Perkins Coie during the huge rush in token sales. Um, you've worked on a ton of transactions, and you were also formerly the counsel for R3, the consortium, with many banks and other institutions involved. So a question I have for you is, especially with all the run-up of DeFi, decentralized finance, in the last couple of months, it almost seems like Groundhog Day in your opinion, where are we currently in the cryptocurrency world? So, so there, I'm going to answer that on two different time scales. Uh, in, in one sense, cryptocurrency and blockchain has been, you know, climbing up the adoption curve since 2012, 2013. By you know, 2014, enterprises were into it. You know, by 2015, you know, just about every big bank had a had a research lab or at least some small group that was, you know, pestering HQ that we should be looking at this stuff. And, and on the sort of on the decentralized cryptocurrency side, we, you know, we, we've seen, you know, Bitcoin becoming well known by a greater percentage of the population over time. But in the long run and over those eight years, there's always been this element of everything is about to happen next year. Next year has always been when institutional investors are going to come into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. It's always been when there's finally going to be real uh, use case adoption by, you know, big financial services companies and enterprise companies. To my knowledge, there is still not a significantly revenue producing application on blockchain offered by any 
big company that anybody's heard of, except maybe one serving other blockchain ventures. But there's no outward facing killer app yet at either the enterprise or quite frankly, at the cryptocurrency level. So to some extent, we, we're still waiting. But you also mixed in there, as, uh, uh, and, and that I think it is Groundhog Day, because every year it's, you know, next year will be the, the, the mass adoption event that takes it over the top. We're getting there, it's just been slower than people maybe would have thought. But the other thing that, that you mentioned is, is DeFi, decentralized finance, which is currently all the rage it, literally billions of dollars are, are being poured into various DeFi projects. And, and very briefly, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, DeFi is a, a broad and umbrella term uh, for, for applications on, on blockchain where uh, without there being sort of a central party, you can build applications that let users borrow money or invest money or stake money for a return. And, and typically, these have ranged from very serious, well-thought-out ventures and designed to you know, uh, replace the functions of traditional financial services companies just by, quote, disintermediating, end quote, to use a word everybody loves in the space, you know, the traditional institutions and letting you deal directly with your money you know, via the magic of decentralized networks, to at the other extreme, complete scam opportunists you know, where a project will, will pop up with a you know, with a, a goofy white paper, uh, there's always a, a rush to the next hot thing. So they they publicize it, they get hot, people pour money into it. And you can have things explode to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars almost overnight and then crash almost to zero the next in, in some of the cases that were scams. And and in, in a sense, that's a repeat of what we saw in 2017 and 2018 when we had this wave of what what people call ICOs, initial coin offerings, but I, I would prefer to call a token sale because part of the problem is, is there was a lot of fraud in those. For every great project that was seeking to raise funds by, by pre-selling its cryptocurrency or its blockchain token, uh, there, there were scams. And the SEC finally got to a point where they couldn't take it. And they started going after primarily those scam projects. But I think those scam projects attracted regulatory attention that, but for those, the sort of bad actors, maybe the industry would have gotten a little bit more regulatory breathing room, and it did. The SEC came in and came in hard and really shut down all token sales, both the good ones and the bad ones. And, and we're going to see the same thing in the DeFi space. There's a lot of brilliant innovation, and you'd hope that the regulators would would sort of give it sandbox-like regulation as you know, you know the, the hot thing lately in regulatory circles. You give like, test licenses, you give people space to an, at a small scale experiment before you come in and really regulate. Not going to happen here, I'm afraid, because there's a, there's a lot of nonsense in the DeFi space. And I think we're going to see a regulatory crackdown. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks. That was a really good answer. And I, and I a like a really long answer. It's, it's all right. <laughs> I, I think... Um, Going back to most people who are not in this space, but hear about the uh, fabled riches of Bitcoin went up to $20,000 per token, or when uh, the ICO, initial coin offering, then moved on to the STO. And this is why I like you're talking about token sales. And now people think that the next gold rush is DeFi, for the time being at least. I really like how you're giving context that this is happening almost now on an annual basis. What's the next 
hot thing that people all want to get rich quick off of, which is not um, something that people, I, I don't think people should have that mentality in. Blockchain is a technology just like there are other technology and there's useful things that come, come out of blockchain, but to not understand what you're investing in. I, I love what Warren Buffett always says, don't invest in things that you don't understand. He avoided technology for decades and decades because he simply said, I don't understand that. So he missed out initially in the early days of Apple, early days of Microsoft. He's like, I don't understand it. I'm not going to invest in it. And that's pretty much good advice to this day. Um, really do your due diligence. I, I, I think it is. And, and I want to stress that there the, um, the amount of truly genius thinking from, from Bitcoin, which, which people will tell you is at, at some level just a, a compilation of technologies that all previously existed, just put together. It doesn't matter if they previously existed, but the, the, the whole infrastructure idea behind Bitcoin was so brilliant and so much of what has followed is so brilliant. There's so many great ideas worthy of time and money and investment. But you got to know what you're doing and you have to have enough background in the space to be able to, to you know, to separate the wheat and the, and the chaff. Or you just have to be willing to absolutely in any sort of decentralized currency or token investment, just be willing to risk everything you put in. And any return should be a, a pleasant surprise. Don't put in money you, you can't afford to lose. That's the other adage too. Don't invest in something you don't understand and don't uh, put in money that you can't afford to lose. Those are great. Uh, words of wisdom. Uh, one thing I wanted to also ask you about is that you briefly touched on uh, the regulatory environment in the case of blockchain, in the case of token sales. That was crushing and that was quick uh, relative to how fast regulators usually move. Uh, do you see that changing at all? Or how do you see that affecting um, new companies getting into the space? It, it, those are all great questions. And, and since 2012, the, I'd say there's been a net improvement considerably in the regulatory picture. When, when Bitcoin companies first started trying to do business, they had no idea what the applicable uh, legal frameworks. There were debates among you know, very uh, experienced tech and payments lawyers about what regime cryptocurrency should even be regulated under or would be. And a lot of people said for sure it would be one thing and it turned out to be another. Nobody knew. There's now a lot more clarity. There, there are two major schemes, not just in the US, but worldwide, that, that govern most of what happens in any cryptocurrency or token or blockchain related business. And it's securities laws, because if you sell something as an investment, doesn't matter if it's uh, a cryptocurrency or not, it, there are certain conditions under which it becomes a security. You can't do that in the US and in many other jurisdictions without registering your thing as a security. But the other is, is so-called money transmitter law or, or anti-money laundering law. And that every country has this and there are international accords on it. And it, there are protections in place to prevent people from uh, laundering funds. And those protections apply to, to cryptocurrency businesses that do certain things that basically move money uh, in the form of cryptocurrency. And while there's more certainty in, in both those areas, they also erect, in some cases, some pretty high barriers to entry. So anybody starting a business in this space uh, has to go through this process of thinking through, well, what do I want to do? What's the legal environment that applies to me? What regimes apply, don't apply? And not just, you know, what do I need to worry about? Do I need 
to get a license or their compliance things I got to follow, but also how do I use uh, regulatory factors to my advantage? Is there a way of complying in a certain manner that gives me a competitive advantage? Does getting licensed for my for my competitors aren't is that helpful? Is it best to just take the easy route and assume you're going to be heavily regulated and go all in on regulation, or can you kind of have a practical compliance plan? And it just it depends on on the details of the business. And the good news is everybody in the space has really started focusing on that to a much greater extent than than in the beginning and people are at least asking the right questions now yeah and that that's a really good point so thank you for that um we need to take a break so you're listening to silicon valley insider a special guest today is jacob farber partner at ouroboros lb and he has a long experience in transaction law especially around blockchain and we're catching up on where we're at today uh, with blockchain and cryptocurrencies. You have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, my guest is Jacob Farber partner at Ouroboros LLP, which is a law firm that specializes in helping out startups, especially in technology companies. And Jacob was famous for being the first general counsel of the R3 Blockchain Consortium. On this week's Cyber Tip, I'm going to talk about a topic I talk about frequently, which is phishing attacks or spear phishing attacks. And that's when companies or nefarious people are targeting certain individuals at companies or for other reasons through email and other means. And in this headline, it was that Iranian hackers targeted security experts going to a specific security conference. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up as a cyber tip is that oftentimes I'm bringing up that the most educated professionals in cybersecurity are themselves victims. And so it's a little bit of overconfidence to think that us as consumers as individuals could be more trained or better prepared than the professionals in how cyber attacks occur. So in this case, it's hackers targeting people going to a security conference and trying to get them to accidentally click on an email, click a link, do whatever. And surprisingly, it does happen once in a while. People let their guard down and they do become victims of these attacks. So the cyber tip is this, to always be vigilant in anything that you're opening up, whether it's a test message on the phone, whether it's uh, email coming into your uh, Gmail or Outlook. Hey, I've been a victim as well. Not that I've had my machine locked down, but just last week I had a targeted email that looked authentic. And I was fortunate there was no payload, so there's nothing in there that actually would have caused me to lose any data or lose my password or lock down my machine. But it's just a constant reminder that anything that's sent to you, if you don't know the source of that email or text message, to be extra cautious before clicking on that link. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I have Jacob Farber, partner at Ouroboros LLP. We've been talking about where the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry is currently, especially with the hype around decentralized finance or DeFi. Earlier in the show, we talked about Jacob's lengthy experience in blockchain and cryptocurrency. And again, for something that's only been just over a decade, 
in existence as an industry and Jacob being in the midst of it for eight years. That's quite a long time. So welcome back, Jacob. How you doing? Glad to be back. I want to pick up where we left off in the last segment because it was really interesting. We were talking about the regulatory framework, how uh, because of a lot of the, uh, I'll call it the enthusiasm around token sales, ICOs in the 2016, 2017 timeframe that the government came down pretty fast and pretty hard in putting out frameworks and going after uh, truly scammy ideas. So we were just talking about how you and I get a lot of startups approaching us about their latest and greatest idea around blockchain. And I think we've heard between us quite a few of these ideas. Let's go back to what your experience is on when startups come to you with a great blockchain idea what that process is and how do you guide them? You know, a, a lot of what I do goes beyond legal and regulatory. I, you know, it, I, I guess it, you'd call it strategic consulting because you, you working in the space, you, you get it. You learn what makes sense on blockchain, what doesn't, what maybe blockchain can do, what maybe it can't. And especially during the peaks in the, in the, in blockchain hype, there's a lot of business plans that just have, blockchain stuck in because it's appealing, right? People want blockchain, it's sexy. So the first question is to always ask, why are we building this on blockchain? Is there something that blockchain does uniquely well? And as people have gotten more sophisticated about blockchain's capabilities, the answer a lot of times is there's no good reason to do this on blockchain or you only need blockchain for a little bit of your tech stack, maybe not as much of it as, as you thought. That's correct. Um, and again, going back to, I speak to lots of companies as well. And the initial thought, not so much in the last year, but during that 2016 to 2018 timeframe, it was, well, of course I need to put on a blockchain. Cause again, how can I do a token sale? How am I going to create adoption and interest? And again, I think of explaining blockchain as like parallel universes. And in order for a blockchain itself to be successful, which is not that different than other technology products, you need usage and adoption. But in the case of blockchain, for people who want it to become a cryptocurrency or get the benefits of a virtual currency, is that without usage and adoption, your project is going to be pretty worthless. Yeah, I mean... So, so much of, especially during token sales, the, 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 one of the underlying premises about blockchain networks is you get network effect. Everybody has the same cryptocurrency. Everybody's using it. You're using it to, to pay for network functions. As more users come in and there's a fixed supply, in the case of Bitcoin, famously, it's, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. So the more users you have, necessarily the more valuable each Bitcoin has to be because you're dividing one unit over more and more users. And the problem is, is actually getting to that level of adoption that drives demand. And there's really only a few, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, some of the other major cryptocurrencies, of course, you know, I'm, I'm not listing 10 or 15, but, it, but there are hundreds and hundreds of cryptocurrencies and blockchain projects. And unless you have users, who cares? You know, it's it, if you build it, they won't come unless you attract them, and that's what's missing in a lot of cases. There's brilliant tech, but the the use cases just aren't as well developed or aren't as well marketed. It's a good, and that's a really good point. And we even think about a non-blockchain example. 
MySpace versus Facebook, right? I'll, I'll build on that. So, so, so one of the, the things that people talk about all the time, especially with, with all the recent criticisms, fair or not, of Facebook and the other social media platforms is let's have a decentralized uh, social media platform built on blockchain. That way, if, if you think about it, Facebook, the, the content producers or the users, it's being paid, it, Facebook is being paid by advertisers because of the content. Let the users be paid for their own content. You know, wave hands, magic, blockchain, let's do a, uh, you know, a decentralized uh, uh, social platform. When you think about what it would actually take, not just tech-wise to build it, but how to attract a critical mass audience and keep it. I mean, there's reasons it hasn't happened yet, right? right. It's hard. Yeah, there are literally dozens and dozens of projects trying to become a social media on a decentralized network. Yeah, and, and I'm not aware of any one of them that's broken out of the the pack. I, I there's nothing I'm aware of that I could predict will ever you know make it to scale. That. The, the biggest thing going on that front is actually Facebook's own project. I, I, I don't know if, if, it, if it's sort of common knowledge, but uh, Facebook put together a, a, a coalition, including some other brand name companies, to create their own cryptocurrency, Libra, um, which is facing some regulatory headwind for a variety of reasons not worth getting into, and there, there's been some fumbles in getting it launched. But if and when it happens, I mean, think about how jump-started a cryptocurrency would be if every Facebook user on the planet had a wallet that could hold it, you know, built into their, you know, the Facebook mobile app, right? So I, I think that may be where we see the next big wave of innovation, not unfortunately from a, you know, some competitor that to the social networks, but one of the social companies or one of the big tech companies really creating mass adoption with their own uh, cryptocurrency. I think that's quite frankly the most likely mass adoption scenario that I can think of. Well, this is a great segue because in the news, and again, we're not talking about reality or timing, but just in the news, we knew that China was developing a virtual renminbi. B. Uh, we've heard the news that the U.S., the Atlanta Fed, I believe, is being uh, charged with looking at what a digital US dollar looks like. And then there's news about the EU and their digital Euro. And so then we throw in, which is really uh, a provocative statement because you're talking about Libra, a private company putting out their own version of a digital currency. Where is it all headed? This is what I wanted to ask you. Where do you think that that next wave is going? There are a lot of countries, the ones you mentioned, and then some of small tiny little countries that have nothing to lose and they're, right. you know, it's a gamble to attract investment that either have launched a, a national cryptocurrency or are planning on it. I think at scale, we're a ways away from the EU or China or the US doing it. I think the US is likely to be no time soon. Uh, there's a lot of talk of China adopting a, a digital currency and they see it expressly as, as a part of their strategy to replace the U.S. as sort of the world reserve currency. It would be a competitive advantage. But, you know, Bitcoin is, is one kind of digital currency. It's truly decentralized. Nobody has any control over it. Um, there is no central authority, period. Who knows what a, a, quote, digital currency adopted by the Chinese government or, or any other national government looks like? It's certainly not 
as unpoliced as the the privacy and 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 cryptocurrency hardcore advocates wish Bitcoin were, right? Much less as Bitcoin really is. So it's hard to know what any of this means. I think we will see though, eventually economies are all going to move to electronic money. If you think about it right now, a tiny percentage of the money used in circulation is actually paper money. Right. It's all electronic transfers anyway. It's just a matter of pushing those transfer systems down from the financial institutions you know that right now you know, when you send somebody money it's just a you know a credit to their account by their bank and a corresponding debit to yours but pushing those transfer networks down so that users see it and feel it that's when we'll get to sort of digital currency that'll happen but it's 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 not in the next year two or three and it won't be in a form that looks anything like crypto today it'll look like money except it'll be electronic well, Jacob, uh, I know the time has gone quick. I really appreciate the time you spent on the regular part of the show. Uh, don't go away because we come back. We're going to talk about three or four trends you see on the horizon as it relates to blockchain and cryptocurrency. But once again, you're listening to the Silicon Valley Insider. Special guest today is Jacob Farber, partner at Ouroboros LLP. And he's been giving his take on where we are with blockchain and cryptocurrency, whether or not it was Groundhog Day again with De decentralized finance or DeFi. So if you have any questions or comments or how to get a hold of Jacob, you can email us at info at svi.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and download the podcast at svi.biz. And we'll be right back uh, for The Pivot. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Insiders, welcome back to the show. Today, my special guest has been Jacob Farber, partner at Ouroboros LLP. We've talked a lot about the landscape of blockchain and cryptocurrency. We've talked about whether or not DeFi is the next new hype thing on the blockchain cryptocurrency landscape. But what I really wanted to do now is transition into what Jacob sees as the next set of three or four trends that we should be looking out for. So thanks again for being here, Jacob. Glad to be here and glad to share those thoughts. You know, I, I was thinking about how to articulate this on, on the break. And I think it's important that, that, that people sort of split the world of, of blockchain, distributed ledger, cryptocurrency. In your mind, split it into two almost completely unrelated things. It, there's Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and all these other quote decentralized peer-to-peer -peer transfer methods for for currency and for information. Some of them let you do program money. It's not just sending and receiving money. You can build financial applications on them, but on a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer basis. You know, think of Bitcoin, Ethereum, DeFi is a great example. And then there is sort of blockchain distributed ledger technology as the piping for enterprise businesses. And, you know, in that sense, I think we're further away from seeing any real use cases. I'm going to take that one first. So far, there's no real enterprise use of blockchain. There's all sorts of sophisticated trials. The regulators, the big banks, the big enterprises are all doing it. I, IBM has TV commercials about blockchain. But so far, nobody is spending money on enterprise blockchain. And it's because there is not yet that one killer app for enterprise blockchain. And on the, on the decentralized side, Bitcoin, Ethereum, it's the same thing. There's, there's lots of great platforms, but 
outside of things that sort of you know make money for people in in crypto there isn't yet great outward facing use cases that sort of crush uh blockchain and and make it clear that that's where it's heading we see a bunch of them on the horizon and i think there's a lot that are promising i'm not saying they're not out there but what not yet. I mean, there's no mass market business on blockchain. I think identity is a huge use case. It's an obvious one. Think about COVID testing and having secure private information about yourself. Blockchain is a great tech for it. Think about uh, voting and securing voting. One of the trademarks of, of blockchain tech is it can be immutable. You can see if it's been tampered with. Um, so there's stuff that's coming and there's all this creative energy. But I think whoever you know figures out the first mass market application of, of, of blockchain is going to be the, you know, the the Facebook or Google of, of the next ten years, and we haven't seen it yet. Agreed, totally agree. And that would be a good point um, on your view because there's still the lesser educated, but seeing the outside looking in, there's always the question about, and we don't give investment advice, but we always give the question about should people um, think about investing in a blockchain entity or a currency. And when I say currency, you can't invest in a currency, but whether they should hold cryptocurrency. No, sure. And, and on the cryptocurrency side, there is, we're, we still live in the world we, we, we've lived in for the last you know, three or four now. There is Bitcoin, and then there's a bunch of other things. And those bunch of other things range from really terrific competitors to Bitcoin that do some things that can't, to absolute garbage crap right and everything in between and I, I think bitcoin is still uh, perceived as not only the granddaddy the one that started it all but if you were going to pick one uh a cryptocurrency at least that's going to be here in another five years in another 10 years I, I can't think of a better one to, to bet on than bitcoin that that said because it you know it's by its very nature you know, ephemeral, it has as much chance of, of going 10x or 100x, you know, as it does going to zero. So I, I think there's a lot of promise in the tech and a lot of promise in it as an investment space. But it's also the kind of thing that, you know, buyer beware, and you, you just you can't put money into the space uh, that you're not prepared to lose is probably the best rule of thumb. And then it, know your stuff. You know, like any other investment, the more you know about something you're putting money into, obviously, uh, the better positions you are to, to make good decisions. So with just the minute we have left, Jacob, why don't you weigh in on what you think the trend will be in terms of the? We both believe the technology is a little bit ahead of the business model. When do you think business models are going to catch up to the technology? I, I think there, there has to be some some crystallizing event. If it's just a matter of sort of, you know, continuing to slowly ramp up the adoption curve. It's hard to know because it's, it's always been next year, but it's been that for six years now. Uh, maybe Facebook and Libra. Um, I thought maybe around COVID and digital identity, I, I still think there's a chance that digital identity becomes a sort of a mass adoption crystallizing event. And, and there's one point we haven't talked about. I know running out of time, I want to make it really quickly. Bitcoin doesn't matter for us in the US the way it does in a lot of other places in the world. We have credit cards, we have PayPal, we have reliable financial institutions. A big chunk of the world, just in the same way that the that, that countries that didn't have any uh, telephone networks, were able to leapfrog by just going directly to mobile. 
Same thing with, with crypto. It's an amazing financial infrastructure for the developing world. And I think that maybe is where we're most likely to see an explosion. All right. Well, with that, Jacob, once again, thanks for being on the show today. I'm definitely going to have you back to talk more. I think uh, the amount of insight you're giving is really, really valuable. So thanks again for being here. Really enjoyed it. So if you want to get a hold of Jacob, you can email us at info at svn.biz. Jacob, you can actually talk about how to get to your website. Uh, Roboros-llp.com. And you can email me at, at uh, jacob at o-llp.com. All right. So thanks again. And we will see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 